Hey guys, TK here. Just a big, big shout out to my brand new sponsor, Bulk Nutrients. Bulk Nutrients I've been using for my supplement needs for about six years' times in terms of quality, price, customer service. They're an Australian company. They are second to none. The products I'm using at the moment is the Green Superfood Power, which you can pick up for only $25 for 250 grams. The Protein Matrix, which is only $29 for one kilo. And they've got some fabulous flavors in terms of chocolate, vanilla, salted caramel, this choc honeycomb, which tastes like a gay time ice cream if you're in Australia. Also, this awesome, awesome rocky road that I've been having lately. Apart from that, also get the creatine monohydrate, which is as low as $9 for 250 grams or $19 for one kilogram. So check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. That's www.bulknutrients.com.au slash TK. Guys, welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Excited to bring you episode 82 of the podcast. And we've got one of the greatest current athletes in Elise Perry. Elise, of course, is a dual international. She did it all at the age of 16. She played in the Australian football team and was also in the cricket team at the same time. So she was a dual international and she did it for a number of years as well. Her accomplishments speak for himself. Like this year was an unbelievable year. Who could forget her 213 record not out in the historic day-night test against England at the North Sydney Oval. She also won a BBL, a WBBL title, and she was the winner of the Belinda Clark Award, and she was also the ICC Women's Cricketer of the Year. But there's just so much to Elise when you consider what she does both on the field and then off the field. I don't think there's a better role model actually in the game. The kids absolutely love her. And then when you consider, you know, in terms of her making it in the business world, she's got a children's book, she's got cafes, you know, she's got some great sponsors that she's aligned with as well. So I think she really has surrounded herself with some great people. And in terms of business and commercialization, I don't think there's anyone that does it any better. So it's going to be great to pick her brain both about her success on the field and then also off the field. So guys, if it's your first time here or you're regular, please subscribe for free via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you can catch it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you do have access to iTunes, if you could please leave me a review, just really helps me grow in the rankings and be, get seen by more people. So I really appreciate if you could do that and share it with your family and friends. If you want to connect with me, easiest way is probably Twitter or Facebook. I'm at Talking with TK, or you can even add me on my personal page. It's Tristan Cannell, K apostrophe double K apostrophe N E double L. Or please send me an email at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Just a big shout out to today's sponsor, Bulk Nutrients. Bulk Nutrients is just a brand that I've been using in the supplement range for about six years' time. I'll never give you guys anything that I don't use myself. So it is my daily habit to wake up with my smoothie, which I put my protein powder. Either I use a protein matrix or my whey protein concentrate. 
And also I use my green fusion and creatine. I usually chuck a banana, some almond milk and some chia seeds and some ice cubes. It's, it's pretty nice. So definitely check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au. The stuff that I actually use, I actually got some chalk honeycomb protein matrix, which was only $29 for a kilogram. So definitely plenty of value for your money. What I really love about them is you, you could order on a Monday, it'll be at your office or your home on a Wednesday. It's so quick to get and so convenient. And I definitely highly recommend it. They've got so many different flavors. Try the chocolate, the vanilla, whether you want Rocky Road. Like I said, Protein Matrix, it's actually quite a good formula. If you're having ups, upset stomachs or anything like that, it's definitely something I do highly recommend. It has worked a treat for me. Their, weight, their actual whey protein isolate and concentrate is also some great value. So check that out. The Green Fusion, Get a kilogram, it's only 17, 79 bucks. If you're really struggling to get your greens in, it's a really easy way to wake up and just really chuck it either in your smoothie or in a glass of water, and it's pretty much ready to go. Creatine is something I do highly recommend. You can get a, a kilogram for only 19 bucks. So guys, check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. All right, guys, really excited to bring you today's episode and I introduce Elise Perry. All right, guys, my special guest is Elise Perry. Elise is an Australian dual athlete, and she's also the youngest person to rep Australia in cricket, and also the first woman to appear in both a cricket and football World Cup. She's coming off the back of an incredible season where she scored a record 213 not out in the historic day-night test against... England and also won a BBL title and not to be out down there she's the winner of the Belinda Clark, Belinda Clark Award and also the ICC Women's Cricketer of the Year. Now, welcome to the podcast Elise Perry. Elise welcome to the show. Hi Tristan, uh, thanks very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Oh, Elise, you're obviously in Leicester at the moment in your off season. Can you just give us a few insights especially after such a bumper season for yourself what exactly you look to get up to in an off-season, and then kind of when are you going to come back? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, um, Leicester, for people who don't know, is a smack bang in the middle of England, um, <laughs> and uh, it's a bit of a country town, really, so there's not heaps to do here, but um, my husband, Matt, is over here playing rugby, so um, it's been really nice just to spend a fair bit of downtime with him um, over here, and then... Um, on a few different weekends, we've sort of managed to, to um, do a few little trips, which has been really cool, uh, obviously, with Europe pretty accessible um, for, from the UK. So, um, yeah, it's been been a pretty quiet one, actually. Um, you sort of mentioned we had a, a really big uh, summer this year or, or last season, and, um, yeah, so it's sort of just been taking stock a little bit and, and hanging out, um, yeah, which has been really nice, and I suppose just good to be um, on my own schedule for a little bit as well. Yeah, Elise, I saw on your Instagram that you're working a little bit on your run-up and things like that. Are you going to be changing a few things coming up? Uh, not really changing, I suppose, just um, yeah, tweaking or, or trying to fine-tune a few things. Um, I think after every every series, you kind of pick up on things that you want to work on. And uh, just before I came here, we had a, a tour to India Um which um, was really, really great fun, actually, and um, the team played really well. And I think um, after finishing that, it was nice to have a couple of weeks off, but then, um, as, as I mentioned, there's not a lot to do in Leicester, and um, yeah. I think 
you start missing what you, you do day to day. So um, it's been a good chance for me to just um, yeah tweak a few things and, and work on that without any pressure of, I guess, needing to compete or perform anytime soon. So, um, yeah, I've been doing a few little things, but um, as I said, kind of on my own time, which has been nice. And, um, yeah, hopefully they kind of help for, for next season. Yeah, at least when you actually do finish the season, do you guys sit down as a team or do you sit down individually with the coach and just figure out maybe a little bit of a game plan of what you really want to work on into the next season? Um, yeah, we certainly do that. Um, uh, this year, it, it, I mean, it's always different depending on, on where your season finishes and what you're doing. Um, as, a, as I mentioned, this year we were over in India on a tour. Um, so you sort of have some initial conversations at the end of that um, collectively as a group and, and maybe one-on-one with the coaches as well um, about what you're going to do. But I think, you know, often after a long sum, everyone's quite keen to just um, chill out and have some downtime. Yeah. We sort of break up and, and we have some time off and then it's really when you come back together at the start of the season, the, you know, the first camp or whatever, that you really have those those serious conversations and, and map out the uh, the year again, both um, as a team or, and, and also individually as well. Yeah, Elise, you mentioned that trip to India and, you know, you guys were together for a long, long time, I think. Was it four weeks in the end that you guys were all together? Uh, yeah, we were, we were there for just over a month, I think. Yeah, are they the kind of the best in terms of like team bonding and just creating a culture within all the girls? Are are they the best instead of like a home series where you can all kind of go home and things like that? Is it good in terms of bonding, just having that time away with the girls? Uh, Yeah, often you're right. It can be really useful for that. And um, sometimes they're the tours that you create fondest memories, um, particularly off the field, I think, because... Um, India is quite a different and diverse place and, and really, um, you know, quite unique and, um, yeah, very different to what we experienced when we are at home. So I think everyone kind of bonds over that and, and those shared experiences and, and whatever you, you go through whilst you're on tour. Um, so, yeah, certainly this time around it was um, a huge amount of fun and um, I think everyone had a great time uh, off the field as well as on the field. And um, yeah. that can be really important in terms of, um, you know, cultivating um, a really strong group environment and I think you know having had that experience going into the off season when we all come back together in a couple of weeks time um, that'll be really good to kind of kick off from from there yeah what's the Indian crowds like because we see in the the IPL and they just go fanatical and obviously in the men's cricket as well they're just crazy what's it what's the response been like because I know India's got a very good women's cricket team as well what's the response like when you guys go over uh, yeah, probably um, similar, but probably not on the same scale, I suppose. But, um, yeah, they're just an absolutely fanatical com- uh, country when it comes to cricket, and um, everyone just knows the sport so well and, um, yeah, are so, are so into it. So um, I think whenever they they know that you're playing or that they see you around, that they, they just want to talk about cricket and they're so aware of it. So it's, it's such a great place to go and play because um, – yeah, I mean, the support's certainly not with you when you're there. Um, it's firmly yeah, against sure. you and they're cheering for their, for their own team. But at the same time, I think because they love their cricket so much, they really appreciate, um, you know, the matches that are played and um, the performances that are put out there. So, yeah, it's a great place to go and play. We played um, a few matches in Baroda, which is a smaller town, about an hour or so flight from uh, Mumbai. Um, okay. And we played three ODI there. And we got, like close to 20,000 people to each game, which is, oh, wow. you know, a huge crowd for us. And um, just the noise it created and the atmosphere was um, completely incredible. And so, 
I mean, that's always so much fun to play in front of a crowd like that. How did you find, like, the food and stuff in terms of, I'm sure, like, because my mum and dad went there, and obviously the, the food's a lot different. They were telling me about everything that they have over there. In terms of you guys that actually need, you know, high nutrition and also have to recover from games and things like that, how did you find kind of the, you know, the cuisine side of things? Um, yeah, well, the, the shame on uh, baked beans story is certainly <laughs> pretty true um, <laughs> to an extent. Yeah. Everyone everyone comes back with a lighter suitcase that they go over with because you do take a fair bit of food. Um, and I think, as you mentioned there, it's probably more because of, um, from a performance point of view, just ensuring that you've you know, got the right nutrition on board to be able to perform each day um, at training and then um, certainly for matches as well. Um, but having said that, I think, you know, you wouldn't um, you wouldn't be experiencing the, the full, uh, I guess, um, offering of India and, and what it means to be a cricketer and playing over there if you didn't eat some of the local cuisine too. Um, so we try and do that. It's just probably that you've got to be a bit careful about where you choose to eat that from. And um, you know, fortunately for us, we stay in some pretty nice hotels and they're all pretty um, pretty safe from that point of view. So when you get a chance, yeah, certainly we like to to try some traditional food. But um, I suppose we just sort of steer clear from uh, street stalls and those kinds of things unless you've got, yeah. um, you know, a total iron gut, which which I don't, but uh, a couple of the girls do, so <laughs> uh, just depends, yeah. Yeah. Did you come back with a, a, a really big, you know, sense of gratitude considering that, you know, a lot of their population just lives in poverty and, you know, you just mentioned you guys were in, like, really nice hotels, as most tourists do. And when you see that on the streets and then you come back to Australia, it must give you a lot of gratitude to how we live. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I, I still remember really well the first time I went to India. Um, I was about 17 years old and I actually went on an underage trip um, with New, New South Wales. And um, I still remember getting off the plane and, and sort of onto the bus and just looking out the bus window as we were driving towards where we were staying. And it was just like it was a whole new experience and um i guess world that we're being exposed to and i remember looking around at at everyone and we're all sort of in the same state of like just shock at at what we're taking in um in terms of you know conditions that people were living in and some of the things that they were battling with and i still remember sort of turning to one of my mates on that trip and saying when i get home i'm never complaining about anything ever again Um, (laughs) and that happened for a while but i guess you slip back into everyday life again but um yeah it's certainly given me a, a huge appreciation for for what we've got at home but also i think the way that they go about it over in india because um yeah whilst some of them live in some um you know horrendous conditions and um certainly um have a lot less than we do they seem to make um you know the absolute most of that and and in a lot of senses make a really happy and um you know great life out of it because um you know they they focus on other things so i think that's kind of given me a great perspective as well and uh, every time you go back there um you know it kind of reminds you of that so uh, it's certainly been an experience that i feel very fortunate to have had Definitely. So, Elise, when does the... I know you've got a couple of months over in the UK visiting Matt. When does your official kind of pre-season then kick off? Uh, yeah, so we'll come back together in um, basically at the start of June um, or very end of May and we've got our first camp of the season, um, which we always we always go up to Brisbane. Um, we've got a national cricket centre up there and um, yeah, I guess because of climate reasons, it's kind of nice. Um, you can basically escape winter and still train outdoors and all those kinds of things. So we spend a lot of time up there during the, the winter months and then it really just depends um, on our 
on our uh, international and um, I guess domestic season fixtures and, and where we are um, in uh, you know I guess at the start of the season. Um, so I think this year uh, we've got a couple of domestic matches at home before heading off overseas for some tours at I guess the start of the summer. So before that it'll all just be camps gearing up to that. A few of us will come back over to the UK to play in uh, their version of the Big Bash, which is called uh, the Super. So, um, yeah, a, a few people do different things, but um, mainly we're all based up in Brisbane for a while and we sort of go up for a couple of weeks, come home for a week or so and then um, back up. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a um, an interesting phase, I think, towards the end of it. You're certainly really looking forward to playing, but it's nice to have such a great facility up there that you can escape winter for a bit and, um, yeah, train pretty solidly. Yeah, Lisa, I was really enjoying that commercial that you just shot for the T20 World Cup in 2020, the one where you've got... <laughs> the phone with Sasha Sandorka and Kathy Freeman and Pele. How long did that actually take to film? Because it's incredible. Oh, man, some of my finest acting skills. <laughs> <laughs> All the girls would tease me about that. Um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. I, I um, certainly felt very fortunate to um, yeah, be able to kind of have um, that interaction with, with those people, um, you know, far more... Um, yeah, I guess um, important and, and well-achieved people than what I am. So it was really cool to be able to um, yeah, speak to them and see their interest, I guess, in the World Cup as well, which, as you mentioned, is in uh, it's 2020 World Cup in, in 2020 in Australia, and there's some really lofty um, <clears throat> expectations and goals for that tournament from, from a women's point of view. Um, it's the first time they're going to split the, the male and female T20 World Cup. So ours will be at the start of the year in Australia and the men's will be at the end. And um, the goal is basically to sell out the MCG for the final, um, which is on International Women's Day in, in 2020. So, um, yeah, they're putting in a lot of effort to make sure excuse me, that um, that this, the competition goes well and it's a, a big success. So um, sort of to be a part of that, that commercial, um, as I said, to speak to those kinds of people was really cool. Um, in terms of how long it took, it, it didn't really take that long. I think there was a little bit of editing involved. So um, <laughs> I sort of set, spoke to them separately and, and then it was all put together. But, um, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, you know, in terms of, you know, you just mentioned obviously the World Cup and, that might, just from a woman's perspective, you know, with the sport still being young, you know, in the men's game, the Ashes obviously takes precedence over pretty much everything, and then probably next in line, you'll have something like the World Cup. In terms of, you know, you being a high-profile player and achieving so much already, in terms of maybe picking out a pinnacle currently in your sport, what do you think that is for you? Ooh, uh, that's a good question. I, I think certainly... Women's cricket sits a little bit dif- differently um, than men's cricket in terms of the formats. Um, so we don't play a lot of test matches. The only test matches we play are against England at the moment, and, and they're in an Ashes series. But um, that series is also combined points total with uh, T20 and ODI, so there's sort of emphasis on, on the limited overs formats as well, and, and that's what we play the most. Um, so I think from that point of view, probably the one-day World Cup, which is played every four years, um, yep. is... is is probably the pinnacle at the moment. The last one was um, in England last year, 
And, um, you know, that the final between India and England was sold out at Lords, um, which was pretty amazing and, and you know, set a, a sort of a new benchmark for the sport in a lot of ways. So I think that's kind of right up there. Um, but 2020 has been an amazing vehicle for the sport to, I think, grow and develop. Um, and it's really enabled um, us, I, I guess, to expose more and more people and especially young girls um, to the sport and, and to take it up. And so um, the big bash back home and, and also the Super League over in England has really done um, wonders for that sport, uh, for the sport in that, in that sense. So it's kind of becoming, um, yeah, I guess um, really important from that point of view that focuses on how we're going to develop the game. And um, so I see, you know, something like the big bash is almost, you know, the pinnacle of, of the sport in a lot of ways because you've, you've got the best international players um, playing in our competition and then you've got the best domestic players as well. And it's such a tough comp. Um, so I, although that sounds yeah. a little bit weird, I think at the moment that's kind of got a, a huge um, mantle on it as well. But, yeah, I suppose um, from a, a purist point of view, the one-day World Cup is um, the most important or the pinnacle of the sport at the moment. Yeah. Elise, how fierce is the rivalry with England getting? Because from the competitiveness in the last Ashes, you know, you guys had a tie and you guys are the ranked number one and two in the world as well. How was it out on the field against the British girls this time? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we've got a great rivalry, rivalry with them, and I think, um, you know, in the last four or five years, England and ourselves have really been, um, you know, I guess setting the way for, for women's cricket. Um, we've been both fortunate enough to have some wonderful support from, from our home board, so Cricket Australia and the ECB, and um, that's really driven both teams forward because, um, you know, we're probably the two most professional teams in the world, um, the two best-paid teams in the world, and we've got the best resources and facilities. So it's really been a bit of an arms race almost between the two of us, and then, you know, that obviously translates um, to on the field and, and who can get... Um, you know, get bragging rights, I guess, I guess against each yeah. other. So, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting one because um, <laughs> I'm over here at the moment um, in the UK. I actually do a bit of training where the England girls train, so okay. <laughs> I sort of got to... <laughs> Have they been yelling out at you? <laughs> exactly. But, um, I mean, on the field, it's it's obviously competitive, but off the field, um, yeah, all, all of their team is really nice and a um, few of them are, are great mates because I've, I've played with them in Australia as well. So, um, yeah, it's a great rivalry, though. I, I think it's very similar to the men's in that sense in terms of the competition and history that goes with it. But, you know, particularly now, um, because of where both sides are at, um, you know, we're sort of the, the best two teams in the world, it sort of adds that extra layer to the Ashes series as well. Yeah, for sure. Elise, just taking you a little bit back to the start again, you know, I did mention at the top of the show, obviously you're a dual international in both cricket and football. Which game did you actually take up first as a youngster? Uh, That's a good question. I I actually can't remember. It was sort of in the same year. I don't know if it was um, summer and cricket or winter and and soccer. Um, But, you know, roughly at the same time when I started primary school, so in kindergarten I was about six years old and I joined our local soccer team, which is the the Beecroft Wombats, with a few um, a few friends from school, and and also um, started playing kanga cricket at the same time. So I mean, before that, sort of mucked around a lot in in the backyard and down the local park with my family. Um, I've got an older brother and and my dad as well is uh, really into cricket and, and soccer, and my mum loves sport as well. So. I kind of always remember doing both, plus a whole lot of other sports, but um, I guess formally pretty much the same time. Yeah. Were you better at football or cricket, or was it just a little <laughs> bit equal? You didn't really take it too seriously? 
Yeah, I think probably um, I just loved playing them and I, I wasn't really aware of if I was good or bad. And I just, you know, used to look so forward to training uh, during the week after school. Um, I think it used to be like a Thursday night. Um, we'd get taken down to either um, cricket or soccer training with the club and um, Saturdays for matches, you know, Friday night, I was like probably an absolute pain in the backside to my parents because I was just so excited. <laughs> um, and I think that's all I really cared about was just how much fun I had. Um, I used to play all my sport with um, mainly boys at, at that stage. So um, I kind of just liked the competition as well and um, and being a part of that. So um, I suppose I always held my own in it, but um yeah, I didn't really worry about if I was good or bad. Guys, just a quick break in today's episode with Elise. We hope you're enjoying it. If you're right into your cricket, we've had the likes of Steve Waugh, Greg Chappell, Brad Haddon, Michael Bevan, Damien Fleming and Merv Hughes. They've all been on the show. So plenty of absolute heroes from, from yesteryear. So definitely check out their episodes. I've also had Elise's husband on, Matt Samoa. He's got a great story, so check that out. As well as other sporting legends such as Pat Cash, Caroline Buchanan, or and Natalie Cook. So plenty. If you haven't had your first time here, please go through the back catalogue. Let me know what you think. Send me a quick email, Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. Or you can find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. Or it is on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you'll get your podcasts. Just a big shout out to today's sponsor, Bulk Nutrients. Check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. Highly recommend the creatine, which is only 19 bucks for one kilogram, or also the Green Fusion, which is a green superfood powder. You can pick up 250 grams for 25 bucks. Something I highly recommend, especially if you're not eating enough veggies. So check out the range, www.talkingwithtk.com forward slash TK. All right, guys, let's get back to the conversation with Elise. Seeing that you made, you know, your international debut in both sports at, what, 16 years of age, what age did you even know that you were really, really good? Like, did you make a rep team at 12 or something that really just started the whole process? Um, yeah, I think, like, I, I just sort of tried out for all these different teams, so... Um, you know, I'd play um, club, but then there'd sort of be um, invitations to go and, and try out for a rep team, so I'd go along to them and um, sort of be fortunate enough to, to sometimes make them, and then you'd play in more competitions, and then you'd sort of get an opportunity to play, um, try out for the next level, or same thing uh, through school um, in the, the PWSA competition. So, um, yeah, it just sort of kind of evolved, I guess, and... Um, I, I did never really genuinely, I genuinely never really consciously thought about um, about playing for Australia or where I wanted to end up with with sport. Um, but I just knew I loved it and I knew I was okay at, yeah. at, at and, and wanted to be competitive. So I just always make sure that if there was an opportunity to do something, I'd, I'd have a go at it. Um, and it kind of just led me that way. Uh, fortunately, I think you know, two probably ten years ago now, which is how long ago it was. Um, the sports probably weren't as, or certainly weren't as professional, and um, maybe the depth of, um, of, of players wasn't quite the same. So it was, it was probably easier or quicker to, to rise up through the ranks. Um, I think these mm. days is probably a little bit longer um, for, for some of the younger girls because um, we've got a bit more depth and um, more structured um, pathways, I suppose. But yeah, for me, I was really fortunate to just kind of, um, yeah, get get to the top reasonably quickly um i think 
probably or I always believe that playing a lot of um, sport with boys when I was younger was was really helpful and then you know as I got older um, transitioned into some female competitions as well um, yeah I felt really comfortable in those environments so uh, I felt like I could compete quite well so yeah that was always uh, always kind of what I just thought about and then yeah to play for Australia was really cool. Yeah, given that you were only 16, though, Elise, does, you know, when you get the call up, does, do they have to get permission from your parents? Like, do they call your parents first, or how does that work out? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, cricket they did. Um, I was at school, and I don't, I don't, I think I had a mobile, but if I did, it was sort of like, like a hand-me-down Motorola from, <laughs> from my <laughs> One of the big bricks. <laughs> exactly, literally sat in my lost all day and I never touched it because it didn't have snake on it but um, <laughs> um <laughs> uh, yeah I think I'm pretty sure they called my dad um and then um dad sort of got in contact with me at school either via I think it was my my best friend who had a much better phone than me so she used to have it in her pocket um or something like that and um and when I when he called me, I was like, "Oh, I don't believe you. Like, that's not true." Um, and he's like, "No, I'm not joking." And probably wasn't until he picked me up from school, and I was like, "Like, seriously, Dad? Like, this is the case?" Um, and he was like, "Yeah." He got a call from the head selector um, from from Cricket Australia about um, me being involved in a, a tour up in Darwin in uh, July with the Australian women's cricket team. And I was kind of like questioning him, saying, "Are you sure it's not like the underage team or something like that?" And he's like, "No, it's the full Australian team." And yeah, I was sort of yeah. just a bit leaving. So because I'd never met any of them, um, or besides maybe a few that that played for New South Wales, but yeah, I'd never really um, been around a group like that before. And so it was yeah, it was pretty. Um, it was all, all a bit of a shock for sure, um, and it wasn't until I actually got up to Darwin that I kind of believed it was happening. But yeah, it all, all came through through my dad. Uh, soccer was a little bit different. I was on a camp, and and they selected the team there. So um, yeah, it was it was probably a little bit easier to fathom. Yeah, seeing that you know some of the veterans on the team probably would have been double your age. Like, were you really intimidated when you when you first got there, or did they just take you under their wing straight away? <laughs> Uh, yeah, they were amazing. Um, we actually worked out Karen Rolton, who's one of the, the greats of uh, Australian women's cricket and, and world cricket for that matter. Um, she was the captain at the time when I came into the team and we sort of worked out that she could easily have been my mother. So that was pretty <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, There the, you go. The girls are absolutely incredible because I, I can only imagine, um, you know, it was weird for me. It must have been even stranger for them to have this 16-year-old kid come in and um, sort of them not to know anything about me and why is she getting um, this spot in the team. So, um, you know, I certainly was um, never felt uncomfortable because they were just so accepting and welcoming and um, I still think it's probably the most amazing experience of my life from a, a cricket point of view, um, that tour, because, like, it was just so surreal and um, I, I managed to play a few matches on that tour as well and, and absolutely had the time of my life. I, I still remember pretty much bawling my eyes out when I had to go back to school and it was all over and um yeah it was just a really really special time and no doubt that was due to the the team and the, the girls making it such a such a fun one for me yeah what would have been a great learning experience especially with you now being one of the senior players in the team you're 26 27 so if a new player kind of comes into the team you know you've experienced firsthand what it's like to be a new player and have to learn from the the veterans so do you kind of think of that especially when new players do roll into the team um yeah definitely i think it probably to be fair probably um plays on everyone's mind because 
everyone's had a similar experience um, on their first tour, you know, in some way or another. So, um, yeah, I think you probably, you know, when a new player comes in and they, they might do a similar skill to you or be a similar player, you certainly, um, you know, that's really common ground to be able to go over and, and to start, um, you know, forming a relationship and hopefully helping them out and um, making it a bit easier for them to, to be a part of the group. But even even if they don't do something similar, I think I'm sort of lucky to have a, a fairly strong team culture where, um, you know, it's it's really about making people welcome and, and um, you know, helping them to contribute to the team's success both on and off the field as quickly as possible. Um so, yeah, I mean, it's sort of in everyone's interest, but um, hopefully we do that pretty well. And um, as you said, you know, having had the experience that I had um, in the first tour, I think you want to make that special for everyone. Yeah. Elise, how did you actually play two sports at the same time? Because I know you mentioned before, you know, the depth changed. Obviously, especially in Australia, women's sports just evolved so much that, you know, the Matildas and also the team that you're playing with, the cricket team, the two of the best national teams that we've got right now. But in terms of what you've done was pretty incredible. How did you actually manage the time? Like, how did you split it? Um, yeah, I, I suppose um, a lot of it is, um, I guess, a bit of good luck and, and fortune. And then also, um, on top of that, some, some incredible support and, um, yeah, I guess, patience from, from lots of people as well. Um, I think, you know, something I prattle on about a lot is how much women's sports changed and it's probably because I'm really passionate about it. So um, I'm sorry if I, if I go on about it too much. But, no, no, um, go for it. I think, yeah, like, I mean, when I first started, um, yeah, the sport was entirely different in a lot of ways and um, both were probably semi-professional. I think the first um, year that I came into the Australian uh, cricket setup was the first year that there was actually formalised contracts, but they were they were quite small, and um, you know all the other girls in the team um, either you know worked full time or went to uni. Um, and in in football, it was probably a couple of years behind that, so there wasn't really any payments. Um, everyone worked. Um, you know, you took time off work to go on tours or, or camps, and um, you know, I think I was really lucky um, for myself and and probably a few of the other younger girls, you know, who were still at school. That was easy because it was just taking time off school, um, and there wasn't sort of any financial strains or burdens. Whereas, um, you know, for for the older players, it was certainly I saw you know players miss tours because um, of work commitments or or kind of not being able to afford it, um, you know, in those first couple of years. So, um, you know, if you look at the now, um, both sports are, are full-time, they're professional, um, you know, players at the top end are, are paid really well to do what they do, and um, I think consequently that the sports have changed so much as well in terms of the standard of play, and um, as I mentioned, the depth in, in both sports too, there's just so many good players coming through because of the opportunities available to them, but um, yeah, for me personally, I think uh, I kind of just had always played both and um, loved playing both, so it was never never difficult to, to um, you know, I guess manage my time to, to go between the two because I always wanted to make it work. Um, and then it was just kind of, um, yeah, the way that it panned out in terms of timing that um, I got an opportunity with both the Australian teams, um, you know, in, in football and cricket really close together. And I think it yeah. probably happened with that, um, before anyone really thinking a lot of it. Um, so I, I sort of wound up playing both and then it was – and I'd played okay for both teams. So it sort of got to a point where it was like, all right, well, um, maybe we can try and support this and, and see if she can do both for, for a while. And, um, 
yeah, I think I was just really keen to make the most of it and, um, you know, with the help of uh, my dad and, and mum, whilst I couldn't drive, they used to drive me to all, all the training sessions and then yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the coaches in both teams and, and the organisations in general um, were really keen to make it work so they'd sit down with one another and sort of map out, um, I guess, the immediate future as well as, um, you know, what was on the horizon from a scheduling point of view and then how my training was going to work and, um all those kinds of things. So, it was, yeah, as I said, it was sort of really good fortune and, and luck that I was able to do it because, um, you know, it relied on a lot of other people um, being okay with it. And then I think from my point yeah. of view, you know, I loved it so much. It was such an amazing experience and I was passionate about it. So it was easy for me to, to juggle the two and, and manage it. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, I think naturally um, the way that both sports have evolved, it, I don't think it's really possible to do that at all now. Um, sure. level it might be more more so from a domestic point of view I mean you look at mm. um, the AFLW now and there's a lot of uh, dual, dual, uh, dual athletes in, in that who play another sport um, domestically but I think probably at an international level um, it might not be possible anymore I mean I could be wrong there might be someone that comes along um, and plays two sports again but um, yeah from my point of view it was, it was so cool I had so much fun but it's probably just yeah naturally evolved that I've just ended up playing cricket because of the way that the, the two sports have evolved. Yeah at that highest level was there any kind of in terms of both soccer and, and cricket was there any crossover in terms of you know similar training techniques or maybe leadership or coaching was there any crossover at all? Um. I think certainly from a conditioning point of view, um, you know, run a lot in football, so I was always fit enough for, from, uh, for cricket, which which was always kind of nice. So I never had to do any extra running sessions yeah. or anything like. That. Um, I think uh, just being in those kinds of environments that are sort of, um, I suppose, high performance and um, at different points in time, you sort of experience a fair bit of pressure and expectation. Um, I mean, you, that kind of. Um, yeah, that kind of experience is, is great wherever you derive it from. So I think it was kind of nice to apply different techniques that you'd learn in either environment to to match days um, for either sport as well or things like that or testing or whatever it was. Um, besides that, I think just the uh, general overall overall philosophies of, of how to, um, yeah, cultivate a really good culture within teams, um, you know, some of the – you know the best points that I picked up from that for from um, you know football coaches that um, sort of tried to transfer to cricket and um, and vice versa. So um, yeah, I think that kind of thing. You know, and and Matt and I talk about it every now and then about you know what what rugby teams do as well. I think they're all pretty mm. common, and I know that kind of transfers into business as well. Um, but yeah, I think you know, every, obviously each sport's unique, and the people that it tracks can sometimes be quite different and. Um, you know, it depends how many people you're dealing with as well, you know, on a cricket tour. I don't think we have a tour with more than oh, 15 players at the very most, whereas, you know, a football tour, sometimes you take 26 to 30, and on a rugby tour, you take, you know, 40 to 50. So, um, yeah, so those kind of things are different, but I think, yeah, certainly there's a lot of crossover as well. Yeah, at least just talking about conditioning, you know that, that knock you had with 213 not out? You were out there for like eight hours. <laughs> By the end of it, were you more mentally or physically drained? Um, I actually felt really good. Um, I think probably just 
and riding on a whole heap of adrenaline and, um, you know, just being really into the match. I didn't really notice anything physically. It was probably, you know, once that game finished a couple of days after that it just felt flat for a while um, because you probably throw so much into into the game and um, it's not until you actually stop that you, you kind of feel a bit tired. But, um, yeah, I think, I don't know, I just was sort of, it was just one of those, one of those games where you yeah, able to stay really focused and in control and um, fortunately for me that's sort of helped but um, also my dad throws me a lot of cricket balls um, <laughs> he's sort of been my yeah. batting coach since I was a little kid and um, we spend you know we have spent a lot of a lot of hours in the nets and um, I love hitting cricket balls so from that point of view it's probably um, good conditioning for for a test match where um, you know you get to face a lot of balls and, and be out there for a lot of, uh, you know a long time as well. Guys, just another quick break in today's episode. Next week on the show, we've got Australian Hall of Fame boxer, Paul Briggs. And here is just a quick little preview of our chat with Paul. Paul, what was your experience like with Don King? Oh, it was amazing. It's funny, Don, um, a friend requested me on Facebook uh, from his Did personal um, Facebook thing uh, last week. How good is and, that? Um, yeah, it was awesome. You know, it, he is a hustler. And, um, you know, I, I had the, the amazing opportunity to sit in his office just with him, him and me, for six hours. We ordered ribs. Um, he loves his ribs. Mm. And just talked about boxing, you know, for six hours whilst uh, my manager and his, both his lawyers, he's got offices either side of his office. There's three doors. The middle door is his door. Yeah, um, which is his office is like the Oval Office. I, I would imagine I've never been in it, but it sort of looks like that from TV. Um, and then his 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 lawyers are either side of his in uh, the DKP offices in Boca Raton in in Florida. And um, whilst whilst they were my manager and his uh, lawyers were putting the deal together, I, I was just hanging with him, like picking his brains and asking him about the rumble in the jungle and asking him about how he built Mike Tyson. Asking him all these different things, and and uh, it was absolutely incredible. And as much as um, he's a hustler, and I really respect the man because he's been called all sorts over the years. But mm. um, the thing is, he'll say to you, and like he said to me, he said, "Paul, I'm going to try and bend you over, mate. Your job <laughs> is not to get bent over." And um, when he gave me the initial contract, I just said, no, nah, I'm not interested. Thanks. I don't want to waste your time or mine. I'll get back on the plane and go back to L.A. right now. And he said, right, right, right. Let's, let's have another look. And so, um, you know, we talked more and he said, I really like you, Mr. Briggs. Um, if you can fight um, in any way, we're, we're going to make some money, you know. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an, amazing, um, uh, an amazing experience uh, meeting him as it was um, so many other people in boxing. So be on the lookout for that. Please subscribe for free via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you can find it all online, www.talkingwithtk.com. And please connect with me. Uh, probably the easiest way is either Twitter, I'm at TalkingWithTK, same thing on Facebook, or send me a quick email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Just another big shout out to today's sponsor, Bulk Nutrients. Definitely check out their range of protein, Protein Matrix, which is a powder which reduces bloating and is very easy to digest. It's only $29 for one kilogram, or you can also find their range of whey protein concentrate, which is also $27 for one kilogram, or their whey protein isolate, which is only $36 for one kilogram. 
It's an Aussie brand. It is value for money. It is an absolutely steal at those prices when you consider the quality. And in terms of delivery, it literally is a two-day delivery, which is so super fast, especially in today's day and age. So check out the range at www.bulknutrients.com.au forward slash TK. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Alex, we talked a little bit about, you know, women and women's sports really evolving. What I really love about you is, you know, your off-field stuff where, you know, you've got several cafes, you're also building your profile in the media, you've written a children's book. In terms of that influence and building a brand outside of sports, who was the major influence in you really getting getting that going? Um, yeah, good question. I, I think... Um Early on, whilst I was still at school, I, I didn't really want to be involved in those kinds of things. Um, I was pretty keen to just finish uh, finish school and, um, you know, play sport and, and kind of um, focus on those two things. Um, and then when I left school, um, I was sort of really lucky uh, to have a, a few people approach me about, um, you know, helping me with some commercial stuff and um, I ended up going with um, a guy called Andrew Fraser who has mentioned yep. me ever since, um, and I just kind of liked his approach. It was fairly laid back and, um, yeah, I guess a little bit more about, you know, just being an athlete first and then things that come from that, um, obviously, like, kind of assessing those opportunities and seeing if they fit and, and making the most of it. Um, and I guess that ties into to having a brand. Um, I kind of I, – I don't know. I, I haven't really thought about it like that, but – I certainly know like things that I'm passionate about and things that I believe in and then other things that maybe I, I sort of feel like I'd just be, um, yeah, um, flogging them for the sake of it. So I think I've always been really aware of that and, and Andrew knows me pretty well because we've worked together for about 10 years. So um, he kind of has a feel for that as well. And, and that's been cool because, um, yeah, the things that sort of become available to you um, off the field because of, of playing sport is um, always kind of amazes me. I think it's it's a little bit silly in a lot of ways because, you know, all I do is play a game and, um, yeah, people are kind of interested in you doing all, all other kinds of things for them. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've always tried to make the most of that, as I said, since I finished school and um, some cool things have come my way, which, is, which has been great and kind of added to the whole experience. But, um, yeah, I think... I mean, it's just one of those things, too, about having balance in your life to a certain extent and do things off the field um, and away from training. Yeah, what about your love of coffee and opening cafes? <laughs> is this a Matt influence? <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, I actually never drank coffee until I met Matt. Um, and then he said that if I drank coffee, he'd ask me to marry him. So, <laughs> so there you I, go. Uh, um, <laughs> no, I, I think for both of us, it's... Um, it's been a cool hobby. Um, yeah, there's a few things that I love about it. Um, obviously, it's it's huge in our culture back home in Australia, but even now around the world, um, travelling a fair bit, like you sort of notice it been coming more and more prevalent in different countries as well, and it's sort of always great fun to be able to try and um, seek out a, a good cafe and a nice coffee um, wherever wherever you are in the world. and. It's amazing, invariably, um, most of those good cafes that you find are run by Australians. So I love to be able to kind of do that on tours, just um, if you get half a day off to escape to one of them and um, just sit in a cafe and watch um, yeah, watch the world go by a bit, I suppose. Um, especially, I think it gives you a really good feel for the place you're in and, um, I guess, the local 
community and um and what yeah what it's like um and then yeah certainly at home as well from a business point of view um I've never been particularly good with that kind of stuff so I've learned a lot since we've um since uh we sort of started um being involved in in cafes in Canberra and um yeah just seeing another side of things has been been really cool and um I think when you're really interested in that you you want to learn as much as you can as well so um yeah that's been really good and it's been a great hobby for us and um you know even over in Leicester we've managed to find a few good cafes so good ones, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah not too bad so you know it's always nice to go out for brekkie and those kinds of things Fantastic. Elise, I just want to ask you a leadership question. You know, you've been exposed at the top level in two sports now. In terms of your coaches, captains, and even some senior players that you've been exposed to, does any one or two maybe people really stand out in terms of, you know, leaders that you really admire and maybe a couple of traits that you really have learnt from them? Uh, yeah. Um, it's funny. I think the older I've gotten, the more that I've played, uh, certainly more I've been interested in leadership. I think early on I never really was conscious of it and aware of just what goes into, um, you know, bringing a team together and, and actually performing. It's amazing how much my eyes have opened up to that in the last um, couple of years, particularly um, captaining the Sydney Sixers in the in the WBBL and doing some vice-captaining at, at other other levels as well. Um, yeah. You know, I love that you, you, know, you become so much more invested in the whole team dynamic as well and, you know, it really is just about people at the end of the day. Um, so some of the, the big things that I've learned um, was probably early on from a guy called Tommy Samani, who was a Matildas coach for a number of years mm. and incredibly successful. And um, he's actually um, originally from Scotland um, and um, has a, a wonderful thick accent, which always is yeah, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think, um, he said something, I remember, I was probably quite young as well, I was only about 17 or 18, um, but he sat down in the group and he addressed all of them and was talking about various things and then something that's um, you know, stuck in my mind and I've never forgotten it is that he basically said, look, I promise to always treat you fairly, um, but I'm never going to treat you all equally because you're all different. Um, yeah. And I think in a lot of ways that's kind of the essence of what I've tried to do with some leadership stuff is you know, have some level of um, you know, empathy and understanding for everyone and, and making sure that I get to know everyone well enough that you can treat them fairly. But, you know, you just no one has the same set of circumstances as, as anyone else. So, you, you know, you can't always treat people equally. And I think if you, you're honest about that and make sure that everyone knows where you stand with things, um, you can get a lot of respect and buy-in. So, um, yeah, I think he certainly taught me that, and he's he's easily the best people manager I've ever come across. Um, you know the way that he made players feel, um, no matter if you were the best player in the team or, you know, it was your first first couple of matches. He was incredible at that. So, um, yeah, he's certainly left a huge mark on me. Um, and then I, I suppose some of the some of the best leaders I've seen are just the ones that that have you know buy in from all the team and and everyone's respect where. You know, they can be uh, be all the girls' friends and, um, you know, connect with them on, on that level. But when it comes to being serious or, you know, really needing um, to get something done, they've also got that mode where they can switch into and, and lead people and people are, are willing to listen and, and follow. So I think, you know, you sort of, sort of got to have those two levels where, um, you know, you can, can um, relate to people on a, on a personal level and, um, you know, really be a part of it and be vulnerable and then at other times, I guess, um, step into action and actually lead people and, and get an outcome that you need as well. 
Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for those insights. I just want to ask you about, you know, I know you're really good friends with Alyssa, Alyssa Healy, and she's also the keeper of the team. With you being a bowler, do you need to have an extra good relationship, especially with someone like her? She might have to tell you that you might not be bowling very well, or how does that <laughs> dynamic work between the two of you? Um, well, Elisa and I have quite an interesting dynamic because we've known each other since we're about nine years old. Um, and I, I think, you know, we're probably more sisters than we are, uh, friends in terms of our relationship just because we know each other so well. And, um, you know, (laughs) she's probably the one person in the team that I can be completely and utterly honest to and, um, you know, sort of say exactly what I'm feeling. And I think she's, um, you know, the same back to me. Um, so, yeah, we, we've certainly got <laughs> a level of understanding and honesty. Um, yeah, I, it's funny. Like, I suppose you probably have more of those conversations on the field with, with the captain rather than the keeper. The keeper might just mention something to you about what they've noticed about uh, what the batter's doing or a particular mm. fielding or position because they've got a really good view of that, um, you know, or what the ball's doing exactly in terms of swing or seam or, um, yeah, those kinds of things. But I think you probably more directly have those conversations with the captain um, just because they're the ones that have ultimately got to make the decisions on the field and, um, you know, they'll certainly go to the keeper for, for information. Um, I'll ask Midge or Elisa, um, you know, what, what she thinks, um, you know, in terms of the ball, um, what the batters are doing, maybe what the best deliveries are today with the wicket um, because, yeah, as I said, she's probably got the best view of it. But I think across the team you sort of want to be able to share information on the go. Um, cricket's quite unique in, in the sense that it's quite a slow sport um, and the captain has such a, a big role out on the field um, in terms of tactics yep. and making decisions. So, yeah, there's a fair bit of that across the game, but uh, I think the shorter the format, the, the less of that too, obviously. Yeah, for sure. All right, Elise, we're going to wrap things up with just a couple of personality questions. In terms of maybe both football and cricket, where has been your favourite venue to play, both in Australia and overseas? Uh, Cricket, from a cricket um, perspective, the SCG was pretty amazing, um, or is pretty amazing, um, I think, being my home ground in Sydney. Um, and then it's hard to go past Lords um, in the UK as an away venue. Um, football point of view, um, Sydney Football Stadium um, is pretty awesome. I think it's a great place to play um, yeah, football or, or rugby, for that matter, just because of how close the crowd is. Um, and overseas... Uh, I got to play at Bayern Munich's home ground, actually, in Germany, um, and that was about 30,000 spectators there. So, um, yeah, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, that would be a cool one. All right, Lisa, I'm going to take you back to your childhood. What posters did you have on your bedroom wall growing up? Um, I loved Michael Bevan when I was growing up. Oh, did you? I had a of him. And I used to eat so much Milo and you used to get, sometimes at cricket days, you'd get like a, a Milo poster. So I think I had that up as well. <laughs> Hopefully I'll sponsor you one day. <laughs> All right. Fi- <laughs> Final question, Elise. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to invite? I'm so bad at these games. Um, okay. I certainly... I thought Matty would have warned you. <laughs> Yeah, whoops. Um, he actually asked me these questions the other day and he got so sick of it because it took me about half an hour to come up with one person. He's like, just don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
um, yeah, Roger Federer certainly, I think, um, yeah, for, for very obvious reasons, he's got to be the best athlete in the world. Um, I just watched Winston Churchill's um, movie, The Darkest Hour, so I'm going to say him. Um, uh, you said no family, didn't you? No family, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> see, this is the issue. I get stuck around here. Um, yeah, family. <laughs> Oh, I quite like uh, Kitty Flanagan, uh, okay. Australian Canadian. I went to her show fairly recently, so I'd probably pick her. Um, John May is one of my favourite musicians, so I'll pick musicians, him. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Well, that's four, isn't it? Any one that's more. four. Um, um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Michael Bevan. Yeah, Michael Bevan, there you go. Oh, actually, Michael Bevan <laughs> is my favourite. Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah, thanks, Tristan. <laughs> thanks, <Elle. laughs> Well, Elise, I really appreciate you joining me on the show today. Before I let you leave, everyone get following Elise on her social media. You'll find her on Facebook at Elise Perry Official. Her Twitter and Instagram are both the same. They're both Elise Perry. Elise, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and I wish you all the best for the remaining part of your trip in the UK and I look forward to seeing you play when you come back in June. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. And guys, that was Elise Perry. If you enjoyed the show, let us both know. Probably tweet to us both. I'm at Talking With TK or you'll find Elise at Elise Perry. So let us know what you thought of the episode. We would love to hear your thoughts. Next week on the show, I've got superstar and Australian Hall of Fame boxer. Paul Briggs, but be on the lookout for that. Plenty of leagueies and rugby union players on the way. We've got Kurt Gidley, Luke Rickardson, and Clint Newton recorded, as well as former NBA superstar and senior Kings player and Adelaide 36er Josh Childress. He's got an amazing story from Compton to the world of NBA and traveling the world playing basketball. So it's one of those really, really awesome stories. All right, guys, if it's your first time here, please subscribe to the show via iTunes. And if you've got enough time please leave me a five-star review that would be much appreciated special get thanks again to our sponsor bulk nutrients check out their range at www.bulknutrients.com.au such value for money highly recommend something that i definitely use myself all right guys really appreciate you joining me for the episode with elise i'll see you next week for paul briggs have a great week i'm tristan cannell And this was Talking with TK.